Apparently, I need to be gone more often. (laughs) If you did not know, I have been uh, with a group from our church for the last two weeks on a study tour of Greece and Rome, a Steps of Paul tour, and we had a wonderful time. We got back Friday night, and uh, here we are today, and uh, I just, a lot to share about the trip that I could, but I'm not. Just simply to say this, it was a wonderful trip. We saw some biblical places. You may recognize a few of those. We saw some beautiful spaces. Indeed, it is a beautiful, beautiful country, Greece is. And we had a great time together doing it. And uh, that is indeed the case. The group from our church, most didn't know anybody else that was going on the trip. And so we had kind of this hodgepodge of people that were suddenly on a trip together. And by the time the whole thing was done, we're hugging and crying and saying goodbye. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to get to know some uh, some, some people in the church and uh, to have some fellowship. And it was a wonderful trip. And I... Uh, I, I was actually supposed to take this same trip 14 years ago, but decided to move to Northwest Indiana to pastor this church, and so I had to cancel the trip. So 14 years in the making and in the waiting, got to go, and I, I do want to say thank you for the opportunity to go on the trip. I do think that the um, seeing these places and seeing the context and getting a sense of where all these things happen so much of the New Testament can only help my teaching ministry in the years ahead, so I I hope that that's the case. But we had a great time. As I oft do, I bought the national soccer jersey for the country of Greece and wanted to wear it, and I have to say, it's very comfortable. I I could get used to wearing these each weekend, actually, so I like that, and um, we just had a wonderful time. Got back Friday night, a little bit jet-lagged. A little bit grouchy, not too bad today. Last night I was with the crowd last night, but I'm in a good I'm in good spirits today, um, and happy to be here with you, especially to finish a two and a half year study of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This is the longest series that I have ever done. I'm confident it's the longest series in the history of the church. Uh, In fact, last night I had a guy that came up to me and he said, you know, I've been coming here for a very long time. I actually came, your first message on 1 Corinthians, and he flew back to Korea last night. And so um, all he's known is 1 Corinthians. There's probably a lot of you here. You think the only book of the Bible that we believe in is 1 Corinthians. It's all that you've heard. Your entire career at Bethel Church has been in this one letter. And today we finish the series and actually are going to tie in the trip at the end of the message. I'll get to that in a little bit. There are 437 verses in 1 Corinthians. 437. That's a lot of verses, don't you think? It would take a long time to teach through that. Like about two and a half years, actually. Guess how many Verses we have covered in this series, 436 of them. There's one lonely verse hanging out there that we've yet to 
address. And we're going to do that briefly, a little brief exposition here this morning on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, our last verse in the series. Now, some of you may be visiting uh, here today, like my good friend Mel Walker, who surprised me by coming in and is in this service wherever he is. Uh, shout out to Mel Walker. But if you're visiting here today, and you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, in my Bible, there are 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. Is this one of these kooky churches that plays loose with God's word? No, we are not. We took two and a half years to study 1 Corinthians, for goodness sakes, and we already covered verse, or chapter 16. So, for us in this series, this is the last verse, and it's a great verse. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord, that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So today I want to tackle this by just pulling out those four like action words that we find in the verse, which are be steadfast, immovable, abounding, and knowing. Now, before we get into those four words, I want you to see what the first word of the verse is. And let's say it all together, class. It is, therefore. And whenever you see that word, you have to think to yourself, okay, wait, what the author is saying after the therefore is building upon what he has said before the therefore. So what is, what has he said before the therefore? And we look back and boy, we ought to really know what's in this chapter because we've been studying chapter 15 for like two months about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the gospel. And we saw that beginning in this chapter, Paul connects Christ's resurrection with the essential gospel. And then we also saw that Christ's resurrection has a lot to do with our resurrection when he returns. And so... Christianity is very much looking back to the resurrection of Jesus in faith and trust and looking forward to the return of Christ and our resurrection when he comes. We live in the land of in-between. And in this place, we uh, do so with an eye towards confidence in what Christ has done for us, that he really was raised from the dead. And last weekend, we had a friend of mine, Al George, who was here and gave a defense of the resurrection. And I hope you were encouraged. I listened to the message in Rome online, actually. And I was so happy to hear what he had to say. And I would have to believe that if you were here and if you were listening, as you left last weekend, you walked out of those doors and there should have been just a sense of, you know what? My faith is not a fairy tale. It's not based upon some myth. It is grounded in a historical person and in a historical event. Christ was dead. He was raised back to life. And there are reasonable proofs that this happened. Hope you were encouraged by that. And so chapter 15 is about the resurrection. And it gets to verse 57 where it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, and all the rest. And you have to see that connection. Because if you just come to verse 58 and say, this is kind of encouraging. I like these words and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to be, I am going to be steadfast. I am going to be immovable. You won't, uh, you won't make it through the afternoon. This is not something that we can do in isolation on our own. This is something that flows from what Christ has already done. 
He has won the victory. Therefore, now, Christians, you are freed and enabled to live this way. You get it? It is Christ's victory, his resurrection, that allows verse 58 to be true. You get that? All right. Nodding heads, please. Yes, all right, amen. Okay, so, with that said, in fact, I have actually one more thing to say before we get to it. The more confidence we have in what precedes verse 58, the better we're going to be in the doing of verse 58. So if you are here today and your, your hope is in Christ, you know that he died for your sins, you are confident that he was raised on the third day, you know that he's coming back, you are going to have a kind of energy to do verse 58 that the person who is sitting here and is going, I don't know so much about all of this, is never going to have. So that's why chapter 15, you got to get the first part in order for this verse to do its thing. All right, I ran that around a few times. I think you get what I'm saying. So with that said, let's get into now uh, these four kind of action words that we find. Here's the first one. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. The word literally means this. Be settled in your seat. Which means that right now, many of you can relate to this word. You are, you have settled in for this sermon. You, you're becoming one with the chair as you get down. You're all, you are, you're there, right? It'd be hard to move you off of that seat. It'd be hard to move you at all. You are, you are, you are sitting in that seat. That's the sense of this, of this word. One translation goes with, be strong and steady. Christians ought to be strong and steady. Why? It goes back to verse 57. Christ has already won the victory. This thing is a done deal. And as we get that by faith, now we have a place for our faith to stand and we can be steady, be steadfast. Makes me think of... Uh, what I understand, uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher said to Ronald Reagan during one of the crises that they were going through together, he said, or she said to him, now, Ronnie, don't get wobbly on me. Don't get wobbly on me. There are innumerable opportunities for us as Christians to get wobbly. Have you noticed? Life throws us curves. God brings trials. Troubles come to us of different kinds. One day we're on top of the world. The next day we're down in the pit. And it's so easy in this topsy-turvy, the uncertainties of this world, to get wobbly, right? And to begin to question, I wonder if this whole thing is true. I wonder if Jesus is going to come through. I wonder if there's anything to it at all. And we get shaky. We get unsteady. And our, our walk begins to falter. And we've seen this with the Corinthians. If there was a wobbly church, it was these Corinthians. They were wobbly about everything. They were wobbly about their relationships with one another. They were wobbly in uh, in their commitments to the Lord. They were wobbly in their doctrine. Everything in that church, if you could, if you could visualize that church, it was, it's like the old, uh, finish this with me, uh, weebles wobble. Yeah. The Corinthians, it was kind of a weebly wobbly church. That Corinthian church. And Paul is saying to them, listen. Christ is raised from the dead. He has won the victory. Therefore, 
Don't be shaky in your life and in your faith. Be steady. Be steadfast. Be like people who know where this thing is going, because indeed we do. Christ has won the victory. And that's kind of the whole point of this message. He won, we win. That's where this is going. And I think the more that we get that first part, as I said earlier, the more confident that we are that Christ is who we claim to be and that he did what the Bible says that he did on our behalf, the more steady our lives are going to be. We're not going to be doing, you know, going back and forth and up and down. We're going to chart a course. And our lives are going to reflect a steadiness, a steadiness of commitment to the Lord. Secondly, he says, immovable. Okay? Immovable. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, finally, a word for me. I am immovable. Nothing moves me at all. Okay, that's not what it's getting at. (laughs) Many of us could use a little more movability in that category. It's not talking about being stiff-necked or stubborn or refusing to change or anything like that. The sense of this is to have an unwavering spirit. An unflagging spirit, a, a persevering spirit. A, a, it's very similar to the first word. It's a kind of rock solidness, a steadiness about your life. I would compare it somewhat to one of the things that we saw everywhere we went in, 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 in Greece. And you know, we have a lot of Greek people in our church. We probably have some of you in this service. Some of you saw the Greek colors going up and you were like, oh, any Greeks here? Apparently not. (laughs) We know the Greeks, they came to Saturday night so they could sleep in on Sunday. That's probably what happened. Oh, now the Greeks, oh, you can't say that. Oh, you are here, are you? Nice. Anyway, uh, the Greeks loved to build columns. We saw so many columns on this trip. Every place we went, there were columns. I have a photo or two that we took. Um, On the left is Ephesus. On the right is Corinth. But columns everywhere. You go to Rome, there's columns everywhere. Now, some of the columns, even after 2,000 years, are still standing. Many of the columns, you see, are laying on the ground. Now, what is the difference between a column that is still standing and a column that is laying on the ground? Well, that's the thing about columns. Columns do really well when they stay on the foundation. Okay? A column that's standing on a firm foundation is a column that will stand for a long, long time. And we saw many of them like that. But when you start to try to move a column, get it off of that foundation, columns don't move well. You move a column... And that thing's going to fall over. And our faith is like that, my friends. Our faith is, here's the, here's the column of our faith. We, we become a Christian and we have a column. And we set that column on a foundation. And who is the foundation of our faith? Not a tough question. Jesus, right? He is the foundation. And our column of faith rests upon him. And here's the thing about Christ. He is not going to move. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. So our foundation is not shaky or, or, or unsteady. What is unsteady too often is our faith on that foundation, especially when we begin to move that around. 
right? When we, when we are not steadfast and we begin to move that faith around, that's when the columns will fall over. And Paul says, listen, you Corinthians, and ironically, the Corinthians are famous for their columns. The Corinthian column is a certain kind of column. We saw it while we were there. Famous for their columns. He says, listen, you guys quit being all here now and there now and around here and moving all around. Get steady. Put your faith down upon Christ and don't move from it. Be immovable is what he is saying. Next, third is abounding. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now this is a very interesting thing and we may have a message in a few weeks actually on this thought. That a key part of the Christian life is to grow. That's what the word means. It, it was used in the, in the Greek culture for a bud that is becoming a blossom. It is abounding. It is flourishing. It's becoming what more than it was. Our faith is like that, growing in Christ, that we are always to be flourishing, always abounding, always seeking to be more than we were, more more consecrated to Christ, more knowledgeable about Him, more sacrificial in our service, more giving of myself, self-giving for the good and joy of another, which was our definition of love, more and more of that. One of the things I noticed when we landed on Friday night that happened while we were gone, the two weeks that we were gone here, spring happened. We left and there was a few buds in the trees and a little bit of here. I came back and I just looked around like all the trees are fully out. The leaves are out. And I, went, I got home and um, I stepped out of the car and I smelled my lilac. These little, little Kim Korean lilacs I have in front of my house. And they're so fragrant. The moment I opened the door to get out, just there was lilacs and I looked around and my grass and my... I got daylilies in the front. I sound like I'm a real gardener type. I'm not that much, maybe a little bit. Uh, and those are all green and big. And the next morning I woke up, I looked out the back of my house and there's all these trees that for all winter, they're just, you know, and now they're all green and beautiful. I love this time of year, don't you? Just things are growing and, and vibrant and flourishing. And that's the sense of this, that in the church, all of the blades or all of the Lilac bushes in the church are to be blooming, becoming more than we were. You know, out the back of my house, in the dead of winter, I can't tell the trees that are alive and the trees that are dead because in the winter, they all look the same. But when things are growing and when things are blooming, suddenly now you can tell the things that are alive and the things that are dead. And in the church, the same thing is true. That when there is life and when things are abounding and growing, you can tell what bushes are alive and what bushes are dead. And Paul's exhortation here to the Corinthians and to us today is be in your life and in your faith and in your walk. Be flourishing. Seek to become more than you are. Don't be apathetic. Don't be lethargic. And there are way too many Christians that are this way. I, 
but my best days are behind me. I heard once from David Jeremiah, you can tell the vibrancy of your faith by how old your illustrations are. That's true. Tell me about your walk. Well, 30 years ago. What about last week? I don't know. Not so much to say about that. What does that person need to hear? Abounding, brother. Get with it. See, and notice it's abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay? Abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding in that service of Christ. The using of your spiritual gifts within the context of the body. The, the, the serving of the community. The loving of one another. Be growing with that. Be vibrant with that. Be abounding. You get it? Yes, Pastor Steve. Because we recognize that you're up there of mere hours from landing, you're jet lagged. We just think it's so wonderful that you're sacrificing to be up there. And we want to be nothing but an encouragement to you on this particular weekend when you're tired and It'd be so easy for you to have had one of your associates preach, but here you are. So yes, Pastor Steve, we are with you. Amen to that abounding point. (laughs) Here's the fourth. Knowing. Knowing. He says, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Now notice the previous clause. It says the work of the Lord. And then in this clause, it is labor in the Lord. Now what is the difference between work of the Lord and labor that is in the Lord? Well, this is what I think it means. Is that when our efforts and our lives, and that can be the context of our home and our family. It can be in the workplace. It can be in the context of the local community, the church. Whatever it is, when our service are for the Lord, it means that our work is of the Lord. And when our work is of the Lord, that labor will never be in vain. It'll never be a waste of time. It'll never ultimately fail. You say, well, how do you know that? You can't really know that. Yes, I can. You want to know how? Verse 57. Christ has won the victory. Which means then that everything that we do, every service we offer, every giving of ourselves, every every sacrifice, all of that is part of what God is doing to accomplish this ultimate victory. Which means that we don't need to sort of be around the church and be around one another and, and, and be wondering whether this is going to work out well for us or not. We know that our labor is not in vain because we know that Christ has won the victory. Now, let me illustrate it this way. If you're a sports guy or girl, person, then you know what I, you know well what I'm about to describe. Have you ever, have you ever watched a game, and it doesn't matter what it is, football, basketball, soccer, something like that, where there is one team that is like so far ahead that the game's not done, but it's kind of done. Like it's, it, it's not over, but it's kind of over. 
And the people in the, that are playing, they, they, they kind of know it's, it's over. And the people in the stands kind of know it's over. And the broadcasters, they kind of know it's over. They're talking about, you know, weather or something like that. It's like done. They're, they're still playing the game. But everybody knows who the winner and who the, the loser is. Now, let's just say that you got home, you turned the TV on, something's not working right, you can't see the scoreboard exactly, and you're trying to figure out now who's winning and who's losing just by watching on, you know, what's going on. Have you noticed that you can easily tell who the winners are and who the losers are even before the game's done? Like, how do you know who the losers are? Well, it's easy because they, the camera pans the bench. And there's the guys on the bench, and they're like, you know, doing this kind of number, and got the towel over their head, and they're just down like this. And the coach, you know, he's kind of sitting there, just you know, twiddling his thumbs. And and you know, the camera. Then they go back to the to the to the you know the basketball game, and you know, the 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 one teams they're coming down, and they're just jacking up three pointers. And if they make it, they don't care. If they miss, they don't care. They sort of jog back. They, on defense, they're not really trying very hard. There's no spring in their step. There's no joy on their faces. You look at that and you say, those people are the losers. The winners are also easy to identify. The camera pans the bench of the winning team on the winning side. And you see the guys, and they're all smiling, right? Everything's great. They got the little arm lock going on, and they're kind of, you know, doing this number, waiting for the game to get done. And they have, the coach is sitting there, and he's striding back and forth, and he's strutting, and he just knows that he's got the game in hand. And the, the camera pans into the crowd. And on the crowd of the side of the winning team, there they are. They're standing up, and they're clapping. Everything that happens is wonderful, and they're chanting, you know, warm up the bus warm up the bus and they're having a wonderful time and the camera goes back onto the court and here you have now the players on the winning team and they're going down and they may jack up three pointers and 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 they may miss but you know what when they miss they don't really care because they're going back to the other end why because it's already decided we're on the winning side and they got energy and they're playing defense and they're they're high-fiving one another and there's a sense of camaraderie amongst them because they have won the game together and you watch that and you say, okay, those people are the losers and they already know that they're the losers. And these people over here, they're the winners and they know that they're the winners. Now the game isn't done, but it's over. Always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. My dear friends, brothers and sisters, we are on the winning side. Okay? We are on the winning side. This has already been decided. What Christ did at Calvary and in his resurrection and in his victory over death, which Paul exclaims, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You heard that earlier in the service. Paul knows we are the winners. And he's saying, Corinthians, you are looking too much like you're the losers. This is a done deal. Therefore, in your service to the Lord, have the energy and the excitement and the joy and the camaraderie of a group of people who know and are confident that everything that they do, good and bad, is ultimately a part of a victory that has already been accomplished. Look like it. Act like it. 
Be like it. Have the joy. Have the gladness. Have the confidence. And I tell you, there are a lot of Christians and there are a lot of churches who I think have forgotten which side they're on in this. You ever visited a church that apparently thinks they're on the losing team? You walk in, you can tell almost by the usher who greets you. You know, that way. You know, that kind of a thing. And you're like... (laughs) And there is a sense amongst the people of defeat. And that it's hopeless. And woe is us. And Listen. We're on the winning team. And that means, just like in a game, when it's already been decided, that the things that go well and the things that go poorly are still a part of an ultimate victory. And that changes the attitude about it. Because you might be here today and you're going, well, <laughs> I got to say that this week I, I made some mistakes. I failed. I had a spiritual fly ball that was hit to me i didn't even have to move my feet i held my glove up and it hit me right in the head it was a i or maybe you scored for the other team this week and you've come here today and you're bothered by it and you're depressed about it and you're hoping for a good word to encourage you here's the good word he won We win, okay? Nothing can change that. Because the victory is not dependent on us. It is Christ who has done this. We have the joy of being a part of his team. But the victory doesn't depend on us. So that means that the things that we do well in our success moments are things to be savored and enjoyed for his sake. And when we fail the Lord and when we disappoint him and we disappoint ourselves, these are moments that we can be contemplative over. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a part of this tapestry of victory that he is accomplishing. And so we don't have to have an ultimate sense of despair. He won. We win. Is this not what Romans 8.28 means? All things work together for the good. For those who have been called according to his purpose. That trial that you're in today is a part of that working together for a good. That regret that you have in your life that if you could do it all over again, you would do it so different than you did. The Lord knows that. It's a part of the ultimate good that he is accomplishing. How might you, how might you approach this week differently? If you walked out of these doors today and you had the confidence, the faith confidence in your heart that no matter what comes my way this week, I already know where this whole thing is going. I am on the winning team. I am on the side of Christ. Therefore, what can, what can, uh, what can anybody do to me? We ought to have, and this is what Paul wanted the Corinthians to have that confidence and gladness in where this whole thing is going. So your faith a little shaky today? Moving on that foundation a little bit? Is abounding maybe not the word that you would use to describe your faith walk right now? Hear the words of the apostle and go back to where it comes from. Therefore, flowing from verse 57, thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not through us. Again, we wouldn't get through the first quarter in this thing if it was through us or dependent on us. It is Christ who has done it.
So he gets the glory and we get the good. And the whole thing is all about him. And that is 1 Corinthians, except for a final wrap-up 